there's a, a real awareness of the challenges facing physicians and creating the opportunities for them to be professionally fulfilled. Hello, I'm Dave Gans, MGMA Senior Fellow for Industry Affairs, welcoming you to the executive session a monthly discussion with a healthcare leader on a critical issue of interest to medical practice executives. The past two years have seen significant changes in healthcare's delivered and how physicians practice. Early in the COVID-19 pandemic, many health systems had to restrict services in order to redirect staff and resources to COVID patients, while physician practices shifted many in-person visits to telemedicine. There's no doubt that the COVID pandemic substantially increased the level of work stress for physicians, nurses, and office staff. As the nation is recovering from the pandemic, physicians, practice leaders, nurses, and staff describe experiencing increased symptoms of stress and burnout, as well as dissatisfaction with the current job situation. Nationally, this dissatisfaction has been described as the great resignation as employees in all professions change employment, looking for increased wages and better working conditions. Recently, the Coping with COVID study funded by the American Medical Association made headlines when reported that burnout approached 50% in 2020 among medical disciplines and one in five physicians and 40% of nurses plan to exit their practice in the next two years. These changes are occurring at the same time as physician practice has undergone substantial change. Another AMA study examining physician practice arrangements reported that long-term trend towards larger practices and away from physician-owned practices has accelerated. The 2020 report for the first time noted less than half, in this case 49.1% of patient care physicians worked in a private practice a practice that was wholly owned by the doctors. This marks a, a drop of almost five percentage points from 2018 and a drop of 11 percentage points since 2012. The study also reported that in 2020, almost 40% of physicians worked directly for a hospital or for a practice at least partially owned by a hospital or health system. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with two physicians, Dr. Michael Nakamovich and Dr. Jessica Dudley who are closely involved with physician practice organization and physician burnout. Dr. Nakamovich is the Chief Clinical Partnership Officer at Devoted Health, New York, New York, and the former Senior Vice President and Chief Clinical Integration and Network Development Officer, New York Presbyterian Health System. Dr. Nakamovich is also a past MGMA board member and the author of multiple journal articles on telemedicine and on the skill set needed to be effectively deliver telemedicine. Dr. Dudley is the Chief Clinical Officer at Press Ganey, Boston, Massachusetts, and most recently was the Chief Medical Officer at Brigham Women's Physician Organization, Boston, where she was responsible for the strategic development and oversight of physician-led efforts to improve the quality and efficiency of healthcare. Dr. Nakamovich, could you please introduce yourself and describe your background? Thank you, David, for first of all, inviting us to participate in the podcast. Uh, I am the Chief Clinical Partnership Officer of Devoted Health, which is a health delivery organization currently focused on Medicare Advantage, but leveraging technology, people and services to ensure that seniors receive care in a way that is currently 
not available. In this role, I engage with integrated health systems, academic medical centers, and physician organizations, independent, owned by private equity, um, who participate in our programs. Uh, prior to this, uh, my career was very much on the provider side, most recently at New York Presbyterian, where I was the Chief Clinical Integration Network Development Officer. And my role was to create a regional footprint of hospitals and doctors in the boroughs of New York, uh, working with our partners at Weill Cornell Medicine and Columbia Doctors. Uh, of course, my New York life was preceded by a tenure in Cleveland, where I developed and led the regional network of physicians of both academic and for-profit physicians at the university hospitals, uh, Case Western Reserve at the time. Um, I've been privileged to engage on a national level with many healthcare organizations, including being on, the board, being on the board of MGMA, where I became acquainted with Dave Gans and had the opportunity then and subsequently to work with him on issues of healthcare delivery and data analysis. Um, my clinical background is in pulmonary critical care, uh, which one never, never loses. And I had the good fortune to meet uh, Dr. Dudley some years ago at a healthcare forum in Boston. Uh, when she was engaged in leadership at Brigham and, Brigham and Women's Hospital faculty physician organization. Uh, I've followed her successes over the years and we recently re-engaged actually on the general topics of physician wellness, physician wellness, gender equity in medicine and uh, physician burnout. So this is actually a, a great opportunity for us to collaborate uh, on, uh, uh, on this podcast on these topics. Thank you very much, Dr. Nakamovich. Uh, Dr. Dudley? Can you please introduce yourself and describe your background? Terrific, yes. Thank you so much for inviting me uh, to be part of this panel today. And I am, as you mentioned, Chief Clinical Officer for Press Ganey. Um, in that role, I have uh, been very focused, especially because of the pandemic, on uh, challenges that have been facing the entire healthcare workforce. Press Ganey, while most people may uh, know us due to our long history in patient experience, has also over the last decade or so been very active in uh, workforce engagement, including physician engagement, as well as in transformation in safety for healthcare organizations. And one of the things as chief clinical officer that I've been very focused on is helping support organizations across the country integrating these uh, otherwise sometimes very disparate uh, siloed areas. I, before coming to Prescani, as you mentioned, was at Brigham and Women's Hospital. I was there for 25 years. I'm a primary care physician by training. And the last decade plus that I was at the Brigham, I was the chief medical officer for our physicians organization. In that role, I was responsible, again, for a variety of things, including population health and value-based care, and spent most of my time very focused on working with our physicians uh, to improve care outcomes for patients, but doing it in a way that would be uh, able to be integrated into physician workflow and was very focused on engaging the frontline in solving the challenges that were facing patients and um, providers and the actual organization and coming up with solutions that would improve both outcomes as well as efficiency. One of yep. the other areas that I was very focused on was leadership development. And then the last few years at the Brigham, um, the topic of burnout became much more prevalent in terms of 
front of people's minds as uh, folks were trying to continue to do the work that excited them and brought them into medicine, but was getting increasingly difficult uh, to be able to accomplish due to many issues, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point today. Thank you so much. Well, let's begin our discussion with an overview of the stresses that physicians are experiencing in today's practice environment and why the, they are experiencing burnout and desire to leave their practice. Uh, Dr. Menachemovich and Dr. Dudley, can you want to give us your initial insights into the broad scope of this problem? So, you know, as I know, we're all aware, the challenges facing physicians and burnout specifically have far have been prevalent or present for a very long time and certainly predated the pandemic. And it's become much more, certainly more prevalent. Maybe this is a silver lining of the pandemic, although it's hard to see it as a silver lining in that there's a definitely now, I would say, a, a real awareness of the challenges facing um, retaining physicians and creating the opportunities for them to be professionally fulfilled and kind of live, live up to their own expectations of uh, why they chose a career in medicine. But again, predating the pandemic, um, many of the contributing components to burnout, and I, I actually try to bucket things so that it's not just a huge long list, but I would say the three big areas that you know, I, I think about contributing to burnout. I would say the first is really the doability of the job that was getting kind of a lot more um, administrative type burdens or regulatory requirements being piled on top of doctors, which ultimately gets in the way of them doing what they uh, really had hoped to do by going into a career in medicine, which is taking care of patients. And then as opposed to just absorbing all of these challenges, thinking about how to restructure practice so that the job is doable, even when these challenges are, are on top of you is a really big, big area of opportunity. And I, and I think it's hard, to, it has been very hard for organizations to regroup while those types of challenges are being piled on. You know, the second area is while medicine initially, maybe decades ago was a very individual type of practice, folks either didn't have experience with or haven't really invested in developing all of the support and infrastructure you need to really run better as a team. And then the third area I think is how we've, we are wired as individuals, um, which is to uh, often strive for perfection and put a tremendous amount of pressure on ourselves which ultimately means sacrificing our own well-being uh, in order to take care of those around us. And there's a lot of opportunities to address the challenges in that kind of individual well-being space. I, I agree you know, wholeheartedly with uh, Jessica on the points that she made. You know, I might highlight um, some specifics that I think have contributed to as you say, Jessica, the doability of the job, which clearly preceded COVID. And that, that one is sort of a mixed bag because it, it's good, it's wonderful, and it's bad. And that is the electronic health record. So the, the need for physicians to practice in the electronic health record and to manage documentation and to manage their inbox and to keep on having uh, 
again, picking up on what uh, Jessica said, administrative and regulatory functions to fulfill in a record, which might not necessarily be intuitive or might not be as good as it, as it could be. Pre-COVID for the, I would say the decade before, this was one of the biggest dissatisfiers um, of physicians, uh, you know, in my experience. Now, obviously it depends on the model of practice and where they, and, and the, the compensation methodologies. But I think the physicians were driven to churn, what I call churning. Uh, we still largely live in a volume-based world and we lost uh, some of our medical professionalism in a number of ways. We lost our medical professionalism because that independence that Jessica spoke of was constantly diminished. We lost the medical professionalism because that doctor-patient interface became more complicated because we were documenting in, in a record. And then as uh, again, Jessica pointed out, this issue of being perfect and how it impacted your, well, your well-being, uh, the so-called pajama time, uh, the time spent after hours doing your notes, you know, has been devastating to a lot of doctors. Now, if you pile on COVID on top of this, uh, you know, you can see where you're headed for a bad situation. And uh, I think these are sort of perhaps more in the weeds components of exactly what Jessica was, was highlighting. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Nakamovich. You know, uh, I think we've looked at some of these issues surrounding stress. And, you know, earlier I mentioned the AMA study that reported one in five physicians could leave their practice. Now, some of these doctors will be looking maybe to retire. Others will be looking at changing their organizations. Uh, in your insights, uh, Dr. Nakamovich and Dr. Dudley, uh, could you give us uh, is this a direct result of stress and burnout or are there other reasons for this potential change in physician practice? I don't think there's one answer because this is very regional and uh, very much depending on the structure that you're in and its conditions. I do think that there are many more alternatives open to physicians now than there were before things that they can do to get out of a particular environment. So just because they sold their practice to a health system and were employed by the health system, it doesn't mean they can't leave because increasingly, particularly with labor shortages, there are alternatives for them. Now, are the alternatives better or worse? That becomes a, a, an, indivi an individual decision. But the point is that there are alternatives of available for physician employment and alternatives of available for physicians to actually leverage their training outside of the doctor-patient interface. If you look at Dr. Dudley and myself, we're not engaged in the immediate patient contact on a daily basis, but we're still obviously leveraging our uh, medical training. So, so my sort of global comment here would be all these factors are influencing people in different ways, depending on the situation of their particular employment. And then on the other side of it, there are many more 
opportunities for doctors to choose. They can leave employment and go into large groups that have coalesced either independently or with private equity or with Walgreens or with, with CVS or with, with uh, Walmart. There's just a lot more opportunities for people to consider, never mind becoming a medical virtualist and sitting at home and taking calls for any one of the myriad of companies that employ people purely to do telehealth. Yeah, so I, I, I love what Michael just said. I agree with him and I like how he framed things. So I'm gonna go like another layer down, which is I'm most concerned about the physicians in the workforce who leave the workforce or leave like the medical workforce. And that let's focus on that for a minute because I don't, if a physician moves from a private practice to integrated model or integrated delivery network, and we saw a lot of this even during the pandemic, and actually a lot of those physicians did better when they were hooked um, and connected to a large organization that was able to provide them a little bit more safety and support. And so, you know, there is always this trade-off of autonomy with, you know, being able to also have a cushion and uh, support. So that's something maybe we want to go into in a little bit. But the point I wanted to really make was we are seeing an exodus of female physicians. And it's not new, by the way, right? So there's already been data that's been published that has shown that if you look at female physicians and male physicians, and this is part of the intern health study that's based out of Michigan, the female physicians are far less likely to be working full-time than male physicians at six years out. I think this uh, pandemic and the great resignation that you mentioned earlier, we know how great an impact that has had, especially on women in general um, and also women in healthcare. And this is what I worry about is the compounded effects of, especially for women who may have children at home or other home-based responsibilities, often called the double shift, really can't do it all anymore and are choosing or have to step out of their practice in order to take care and manage uh, other, other types of non kind of work related responsibilities that they have. And they may choose to be doing that um, when their kind of work environment is unable to provide the flexibility that I think we are all gonna have to shift to um, going forward. So the old ways of practice and uh, some of the kind of limited flexibilities that were offered, I really feel strongly that we have to rethink that just like so many other industries are. And Michael mentioned telemedicine, that's a great example. Um, but I think there are ways to, for all organizations to be really leaning in to how to create more flexibility, which I think will also give individuals more autonomy, even when they're in a more larger practice setting. Dr. Dudley, I think very good insights. In fact, we've been talking a little bit more global. While you were at the Bring in Women's Physician Organization, you had to deal with burnout among the institution's clinicians. Uh, I know our listeners would be most interested in learning what you did to assess burnout. And can you also provide your recommendation for what a physician executive or a practice administrator can do to minimize the effects of burnout in their organizations? Sure. So what we did at the Brigham and what I would recommend 
today for all organizations is surveying your physicians and doing it in a kind of structured way um, because you are more likely to hear so many more voices and more likely to get kind of an honest and and true response um, as long as you do that, sur- use a survey that is um, confidential so that doctors feel uh, comfortable responding. So we did that at the Brigham. We did implement a survey and, you know, there's many different kinds of surveys that are available. Certainly Press Ganey, um, we have a physician engagement survey and a workforce engagement survey, but there are, are others out there. But the number one I would thing that I think is most important for organizations and certainly was critical for us at the Brigham is to get the data. And this is to really understand um, how are your physicians doing? And you can do this with focus groups. And I think there are ways to gather information beyond surveys, but I feel pretty strongly that some type of survey tool which protects confidentiality is really important so that you can actually hear from the most people and that they feel comfortable communicating. The second thing I think is really critical is having leadership and ideally the board, as well as the executive leadership of the organization fully behind this, kind of uh, readily acknowledging that without um, a healthy, engaged, well physician workforce, actually well in uh, full healthcare workforce, and we've seen this now, especially with the pandemic, we, none of us can deliver uh, on, on why we went into medicine. If we are not uh, well and uh, able to you know, have the f- ability to execute in a job that's doable and work collaboratively and collectively, because it's not a you know, single sport anymore, um, we will not be able to succeed in taking care of patients. And that's what all of our organization's missions are driven around which is uh, better care outcomes for patients. I think those would be my number one and two, which would be really understand how your physician workforce is uh, doing, what the challenges are. It it has to be a pretty in-depth set of questions so that you can tease out what the issues are and then really having board and executive support for um, both pursuing the surveying, but then actually responding to what the survey shows, using the data, leveraging the support of leadership to begin to uh, develop programs to make change. The issue of of listening to the physicians can't be a corporate exercise. It has to be something meaningful, recognizing the, the professionalism of the doctor and letting them believe that it's really being done for change and for improvement. And the confidentiality issue is also, uh, you know, really, really important. You know, I would say that the culture of a physician organization is going to determine the degree of dissatisfaction and burnout. If a culture can, is, is paying attention to the workforce and adapting to change, they will do better than a culture that is sort of preordained and uh, is not listening to their workforce. But I do think it's, it's important for us to get, get Jessica to tell us a little bit about how they structured it. And also 
I think we should spend a few more minutes on this, Jessica should, on the whole issue of gender equity, because, you know, we've got more and more female medical students. And so we can't afford to have more female graduates dropping out of healthcare. So I do want to make one more comment on the points you just made, because I actually think they're even more important than the programs, which is the culture piece. And I actually, this concept of psychological safety and creating a culture where not just physicians, but everybody on the healthcare team feels comfortable speaking out, uh, speaking up. These are things that we can learn from kind of uh, the world of safety culture. And then there's a Harvard Business School professor, Amy Edmondson, who writes a lot about this. And it's something that, that I think all organizations really can train their leaders to do better, which is how do we make it safe for people to speak up and speak out without fear that that's going to actually uh, come back and be problematic for them? Because we need people to be honest and transparent about where the challenges are if we're ever going to be able to fix them. Going back to the programs that we then advanced at the Brigham, so beyond the survey and leadership, real engagement, not just to check the box, but a real belief in the importance of this, as Michael was saying, we actually went forward, I'm going to say three main programs, which I think were really important, but then the way we advanced with it. So we actually saw the pain that our physicians were experiencing with the EMR, like Michael was talking about earlier, and we really leaned into that. So we did a very proactive approach to using the data to see who was struggling and then really um, delivering essentially at the elbow type support with experts who could essentially make uh, individual doctors faster in their ability to navigate and become more efficient in using the EMR as the tool it was designed to be, not this kind of frustrating experience that it often is. So that actually was a big part of our initial strategy. We knew that wasn't going to solve the problem, but that people were experiencing so much frustration, we had to tackle that. And I think that that's true. Most, most organizations would recognize this and have made some attempts to really address this. There's lots of uh, ways to do this, but I think at least listening and understanding what the challenges are that are facing those that are using the record and working to make it more efficient is really, really important. The second place, it's actually the first place we leaned into, it just took longer to get up, was really making sure that when physicians were struggling, that they had a way to access mental health support in, in a very confidential, destigmatized type of way. And so we built what we called our faculty trainee mental health program. So that when a physician was struggling or when a physician's colleague saw that they were struggling, um, they could actually go directly. In fact, it was a self-referral only, um, but there was a, a dedicated kind of email and a protected phone line that a physician could call and then have a consultation with a psychiatrist or a psychologist and then determine you know, what, what was necessary to support that physician better. It's actually not a huge percentage of physicians that ultimately ended up needing ongoing mental health support, but being able to have an entry point, triage, and then work through the best way to move forward so that your emotional and mental health are well supported 
was really critical for us to, to set that up. And even though organizations have some infrastructure usually in place, if you look at your data, um, you may find that physicians are less likely to use things like EAP than some other groups of employees. So setting up something that uh, physicians will actually use, I think is really important. The third area, if I'm, if I'm like creating buckets here that I think is really important, I, although I mentioned it earlier, which is how to create the camaraderie and kind of teams and collegiality, which is really what drew a lot of us um, and gives us a lot of joy. So besides taking care of patients as individuals, we rely on our colleagues, we connect with them and how to protect and advance that type of experience. So um, at the Brigham, we launched something that Mayo had actually published on earlier, which was enabling docs to get, to, get, to get together for dinner or for a social hour type of activity. We had a script that they could use if they wanted to guide conversation, um, but it was really an opportunity to reconnect with colleagues, kind of share the challenges, but also remember the kind of joy, respect, and uh, fun that we have when we're with each other. We actually did this also for our house staff who you know, Michael mentioned this earlier, but the trainees are, are really struggling. Um, and it's really important that we address those struggles as well. So we created like a special uh, time where uh, they could gather to get a meal to support this coming together, this camaraderie and collegiality that often gets lost when people are so busy, they, they can't bring their heads up. I, very, very good insights into strategies an organization can can employ in order to identify issues within their their physician staff and their, and their nursing staff and others, and then once you have the the insight, then you can actually address those issues. Uh, you know, we've talked about burnout and stress as being significant factors driving the great resignation. You know, but I know there are other reasons why many physicians are seeking a change in medicine. Uh, in my conversations I've had with physicians, I know many who went into hospital employment now feel constrained in their organizations and they're looking for a higher degree of autonomy in clinical decision-making and as well as their, their work schedules that are inherent in private practice. Uh, Dr. Dudley and Dr. Nakamovich, can you give your insights and some of these other factors besides just stress and burnout that's leading to physicians wanting to change their employment situation? You know, there, there is a, an element here related, to which just Dr. Dudley mentioned, the, uh, the actual practice structure. And I, I look at that as the resources available to a practitioner to practice medicine. Now, these vary tremendously. And I would say that the actual practice support system and the expectations of what the physician must do outside of seeing the patient plays an enormous role. Uh, you know, the Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic, Kaiser California, I mean, they don't have, well, certainly I know the Cleveland Clinic doesn't have a lot of people leaving. They may have people unhappy, but they don't have a lot of people leaving. And that's probably because uh, people get used to the system. There's a good pension. And frankly, they don't really have to do anything besides see patients. So uh, I, I don't know if in, in the work that you're doing, uh, Jessica, you've seen 
organizations where lack of support in the practice environment is as important as I'm making it out to be. So I think this is very real, um, but I think, and this is why, again, the data is so important because this is not gonna be one size fits all. It will vary by specialty or by practice. I have yet to find any organization that I've spoken with, and I've spoken with many, um, that feel like they've cracked this nut, that they've got it down, and they are just like smooth sailing and everything's great. I don't think that that's true. Even the places that look better in terms of, and we look at data all the time, right? So we have places that um, we look at engagement, which is kind of a set of questions that we ask, ability to vote. This is really about going above and beyond. Um, we look at a measure that we call resilience, which includes both being able to get kind of activated and find meaning in work, as well as being able to go home and get sleep and decompress. And that kind of makes up our resilience metric. Um, we also look at things like safety culture, which includes like resources and staffing. And, and I'm mentioning these because especially with the pandemic and especially in 2021, we have seen dramatic uh, decline in all of these areas, by the way, across the workforce. So not just for physicians, but in places like security personnel, for example. So I, I'm sharing this because this is why I think it's so important to look at the data. So while we are seeing those things coming down, like engagement, the ability to go home uh, and recover, uh, and some of the you know, uh, kind of globally staffing challenges, there are organizations that are doing better than others. And we are able to look at and understand, well, what is it that they're doing that may enable them to be doing better even in these very challenging times? So I do think for, for some, like the example you were giving, Michael, staffing, uh, and resourcing and support may be better. But honestly, in most places, nobody, very few think it's where they need it to be. However, there are some that, you know, the vision of the doctor being able to just focus on the doctor stuff and not do um, a lot of the kind of administrative hassle stuff um, is certainly better than in other practices. And we've seen this with things like scribes or team-based care is a way that people have really solved this, but you need to have resources to make sure you have team members. Yes, resources are really important and uh, resourcing practices so that they work efficiently is really important. I do see organizations kind of reluctant, right? Because resources are tight. So to hire more people, um, even more of the staff support is really challenging uh, for many organizations to do, especially in times like these. So, and, and, and honestly, even those that uh, want to hire more people or even budgeted to hire more people don't, can't find the people right now. That's why I think it's so important that uh, we are looking at redesigning how we do things, even in the practice setting um, and figuring out, are there things that we're doing that we don't need to keep doing and how to make those operations run more efficiently. So I think that's another thing that's uh, like a, as we move forward, what we need to be definitely focusing on. I did wanna mention a bit about gender because uh, we've done some real deep dives in our data in that space. And what we're finding is that women physicians do uh, have different experiences than male physicians. It's not limited at all, by the way, to specialty. We see this across almost every specialty. You know, we, in looking at an enormous data set that included about 200,000 physicians, 
um, we were able to pull out uh, some key areas where women physicians are really having a different experience than male physicians. And the four greatest gaps were in uh, the, the areas of feeling like there is appropriate staff. That was one of Michael's points. Feeling that they have sufficient time for patient care. Involvement in decision-making, which to me is a marker of respect. And that the amount of job stress they're experiencing is reasonable. And in every one of those um, areas, our female physicians that were surveyed, this is at the Prescani level now that I'm talking about, um, scored those questions markedly lower than male physicians scoring of those questions. And then the other area I wanted to highlight are in the space of resilience, especially decompression, being able to get enough sleep, being able to go home. Um, Michael talked about pajama time. That's like doing work at home. This is a marker of can you not think about work and not log on when you're home. So in this area also, in this set of questions that we call decompression, female physicians also scored uh, much lower than male physicians. You know, I think very good insights. We've talked about the overall problem. Now we've given some strategies for the executives in the organization to help diagnose and, and actually strategies that they can employ. Let's uh, get, I'd like to get your insights in uh, the other perspective. And that is from the, for the individual physician uh, who is feeling stress and who's feeling burnt out and may want to look at uh, go, moving outside their current employment situation, or uh, going into independent practice, or moving from independent practice to a hospital system, but that wanting a change, what advice can you give to the doctor for themselves? You know, assessing their situation, and also, uh, you know, should they be considering a change? What What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, this is something that um, I continue to deal with fairly regularly. Because, you know, over the years you've picked up these associations, you may even have hired doctors in a particular setting, then they get unhappy and you're no, no longer with the organization, but they call you and they ask you for advice, which is, you know, because you were responsible for hiring them. And it really is sometimes a, a, a delicate situation because some, an individual needs to be able to look inside themselves and determine why they are unhappy because the unhappiness may or may not have to do with their medical practice. So that's number one. If it, if it has to do with the medical practice, as it often does, you know, they need to isolate the most egregious things or most egregious characteristics. And first of all, see if they can resolve them because, you know, they chose to go to a particular place. Well, is there any opportunity for, for improvement, is anybody listening? Uh, presumably, you like working with your colleagues, which is generally generally the case if you chose to be there. Once they've gone past that, then the good news is that there are alternatives. There are also, if the issue relates to documentation and keeping up with the volume targets, or if the the issue relates to too much administrative work. You know, telehealth is increasingly becoming an option. So there are lots of telehealth opportunities where you can minimize uh, that kind of, that, those kinds of issues. 
The other opportunities now exist in, for example, value-based organizations. And I just give examples, not because I'm promoting them in any way, because I'm not, uh, but they're just examples of what they do, uh, like say ChenMed or Oak Street, that's a, a very small percentage of the market, but they hire people just to take care, for example, of seniors. So they have small panels and they just have to focus on that small panel of seniors. Uh, that may work for some people. A lot of people don't want to be that restricted in, in what they do. I must say that the new element of the CVSs, the Walmarts, the Walgreens, this is TBD to see what happens as each of these organizations literally spends billions of dollars over the next few years, billions, to grow physician practices across the country. What kind of cultures will those be? Uh, will those be, you know, will they learn from other people's mistakes or will they repeat the same mistakes? given the fact that their revenue source is not only restricted to how many patients come through the door. In summary, there needs to be, and I always ask people to find out why are they leaving, see if they can be corrected. If not, look for one of the many alternatives that allows them to do things that they are less likely to be confronted by the same issues. Yeah, I really like how Michael framed that. And I would actually say very similarly, and I guess maybe I would say even a little bit uh, more, more aggressively, which is, so it is challenging right now. It's a challenging time for everybody. And, you know, and it's also a very challenging time for, I think, all healthcare workers, especially physicians, but nurses, we all know all of this. Um, I think uh, before you kind of pack your bags and go, or kind of wallow and remain in this tough spot, I mean, it's okay to, you know, I, I would, I wish that at the individual level, when folks are recognizing just how um, either challenging it is or so far from what they had expected it, that they can um, have the dialogue with their leadership and then work together to create a better, um, a, a better, a better and more doable job uh, for themselves. It, it probably will involve creating stronger teams. It will involve like training um, and maybe doing things that they didn't kind of realize required training. Like how do you lead a team and how do you ensure things like psychological safety? Um, but I think that, that that is worth a shot before you pack up your bag and then go do like telemedicine by yourself in your home. That would be my hope is that folks that are in organizations right now you know, even in the setting of frustration um, that you at least, you know, try to uh, connect and see if it's possible to evolve the environment that you're in. And I know this is, you know, easy for me to sit here and say, and in reality, incredibly challenging to do, but I suspect if you feel this way, your colleagues in your practice are similarly feeling this way. And it would be a shame to, um, you know, not kind of try to see, can we, especially if it's an organization you've been committed to being with, how do we work together to try to make this whole environment a better experience for patients and for ourselves and our colleagues? So that would be my one caveat um, 
Thank you so much. Very good insights. As we start wrapping up our session today, uh, we've talked about the broad, had a very broad discussion on the stresses experienced by many doctors and opportunities for both practice leaders to help address those stresses, as well as opportunities for the physicians themselves to understand uh, their problems and, and potentially look at what their future is. Uh, Dr. Uh, Dudley and Dr. Nakamovich, can you give your insights more looking towards the future and what is the future for physician practice? How can organizations uh, enhance the experience for their doctors to improve patient care and improve the career path for their physicians? And how does this fit into the future healthcare environment? Like I said earlier, surveying or having your finger on the pulse of how your physicians are feeling right now is critical. And I think getting this data uh, and insights now um, is the only way that we can kind of prioritize and plan for the future or the best way that we can, otherwise we're guessing. So I think that, that that is a really important thing. The second thing I would say is I don't see medicine going back um, to more isolated, smaller private type practices. I actually think things are only going to become more integrated as care continues to evolve and solutions to care, um, which are phenomenal and often technology-based, um, will kind of accelerate the ability to have more players and more connectivity and honestly, less care in a hospital setting and more care in home-based settings and other locations as technology catches up to what we're able to do. So I think um, really investing in kind of integrating across the journey of the patient, across the continuum, creating um, connectivity that can be both virtual and in-person so that we function more as teams, even though we may be um, not all co-located in the same environment. These are things that I think all organizations really need to be thinking about and uh, focusing on developing right now. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think the issue, at the, uh, the issue that we need to address is that there is too much being put on the plate of the physician and the physician practice. With technology and with the industry expanding, I think we're seeing more resources grow and evolve that will actually assist the physician in the continuum of care, particularly once they leave the hospital, so that the physician follow-up isn't so very, very difficult. So, you know, it's one thing for a physician to see a healthy patient. It's one thing to see a patient who's had something, uh, an acute event that's cured. They broke a bone, they had an infection, whatever. It's a whole nother story to take care of somebody with chronic disease where the burden on the physician becomes increasingly greater. And I think we're being unfair to the profession to expect them to do all this work. So I anticipate that there'll be more partnerships between hospitals, physician groups, and other sectors that can assist in making sure that patients don't fall through the cracks and a lot of this busy work that needs to be done that may relate to social determinants of health or chronic disease management or medication adherence, 
gets done. And it's not the physicians, physician only trying to manage this because it's impossible. So I see that as a change in, in where we're going. And to the extent that value-based care sort of continues to increase, and I think that'll be slow in large organizations around the country, that trend of, of having resources outside the group, outside the hospital that can be helpful, uh, you know, will, will increase. I also, you know, the last point I'd make is that there's no doubt that, um, you know, voice recognition and EMRs uh, aided by, you know, technology that can prompt the doctor on things that need to be done. And these can be uh, documented via uh, voice recognition. I think that could go a long way to uh, easing the burden of the overburdened doctor in a practice trying to type all this in. Thank you, Michael. I think very good ideas. In fact, this basically reinforces that the future of medicine is really a team sport. And it's the, led by the physician, but also directing the resources and the individuals to support that doctor to provide better patient care to their, to their patients. Uh, you know, there's so much we could discuss, but I know you have a very busy schedule and we've had a long discussion today is there anything else you would like to add to today's discussion? I truly appreciate your time and your insights. This has been most valuable. And I'm sure our listeners will be very, very pleased to, to have even your last comments. Thank you much. Dr. Dudley uh, and I seems to have complimentary points, even though we didn't, we didn't agree to agree on everything in advance. <laughs> I agree with you on that one. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much for both of you. This has been great. Thank you.